What's up, world? I'm Matt Newberg from Hungary, and this is The Feed. Each episode, we'll dive into conversations with the industry insiders who are leveraging technology to shape the way we eat. On today's episode of The Feed, the Hungry Trends community sat down with Zong Chu, co-founder and CEO of Deliverect, a leading online order management platform powering the digital backbone of restaurants and CPGs. In this episode, we'll chat about the platform's latest virtual brand marketplace for restaurants, how Unilever is using it to spin up 24-7 on-demand ice cream storefronts, and how merchants can successfully leverage the power of third-party marketplaces to make it work for their bottom lines. All righty, I'm very excited to be joined today by Zong Chu. He is the founder of Deliverect, the leading online order management system powering restaurants large and small, including KFC, Burger King, and even CPGs like Unilever. Prior to Deliverect, Zong founded the first cloud-based iPad POS solution that was eventually acquired by Lightspeed. Zong, welcome aboard. Hey, Matt. Really happy to be uh, today on your podcast. And yeah, thank you so much for joining from NRA. I know it's been a, a busy couple of last days for you, but uh, glad you could find the time to come and chat about all the exciting news with Deliverect. Really excited to dive in some of the new announcements and, and whatnot. But before we do that, you know, I always ask all my guests to kind of talk about their background. So I'd love to hear kind of your background about how you kind of went from live streaming towards the founding the first iPad-based POS system and then getting acquired by Lightspeed and what, what that was all like, that, that whole evolution. Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to finally uh, take some time to sit because it was a crazy couple of days in our race, super busy. <laughs> you know, uh, for the rest about me, uh, I'm uh, now 37, but uh, I've been almost 20 years in the restaurant tech space. So people wonder how uh, I started very young. So actually I started in this space because of my parents. I know they don't have Chinese restaurants or Asian restaurants, but my, my father actually had a, a point of sale company. Uh, for Asian restaurants. And, you know, especially as an immigrant kid at age 16, he was like, you need to work. So I created, I started to create a website for these restaurants very early on. But also that's how, you know, I, I got to know this space and understood the pain actually back then of point of sale, right? You know, one of the things I, I had to do is when he was on holiday, I was doing support. And uh, I think uh, once I, I drove even three hours to a customer because she was yelling at the phone that she could not take orders to her keyboard. <laughs> and the reason was uh, a cleaning lady has touched the numlock button, right? And she didn't know that uh, you need to unlock it. So during that six hour drive, three hours go, three hours back, I really thought, man, there must be a better way on these off-premise systems. So after studying <laughs> software engineering, when the time was right, when uh, I think uh, iPad 1 got released, uh, you know, we said that was a time and with uh, a co-founder, that's also co-founder at Deliverect, with Jan Holi, we, we created uh, one of the first uh, iPad point of sales, actually one of the first 3,000 apps really on iPad 1, and that company, you know, grew quite quickly, right? We were young, we were naive, and in the beginning, you had the option to say, hey, where do you want to launch your app? So you had all these countries, but there was also a button select all. So we, we obviously pressed select all and launched on a global basis. And uh, okay. yeah, uh, everyone was looking at solutions and you know, we, we got um, launched quite massively. Fast forward, uh, that was uh, like 2010. Fast forward 2014, I think 
you know, we uh, there was an opportunity to join Lightspeed, and Lightspeed was back then very focused on retail, but they wanted to enter the hospitality sector as well into Europe. So it was a perfect synergy between the two companies. So we merged, and basically, you know, Lightspeed Hospitality is is the everything restaurant related. Uh, we ran that just uh, up to IPO. Right, uh, that's when we left uh, at Lightspeed. So, really grew that from almost a hundred, you know, people company uh, to a thousand people company in four or five years. So, that was an exciting, exciting journey. Very cool and, and really interesting timing. I mean, you know, delivery was obviously around, but it's it was nowhere near the size it is today. I guess talk to us about like how you've seen that evolve, and then maybe talk about some of the the pain points you saw while you were at Lightspeed that kind of led you to start to formulate the idea for DeliverAct? Well, people always ask me, hey, how do you come up with the idea? Ideas are actually quite easy. I think it's uh, not even 1%, it's 0.1% and all the rest is uh, <laughs> you know, execution. You know, Back then, one of the things we saw and there was restaurant around the world was they were seeing, and it was 2017 and 2018, saw that 10%, 20%, and even 30% of the total revenue were coming from new players, third markets, you know, uh, third-party marketplaces, right? You know, uh, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, DoorDash, and these um, these guys. And restaurants were actually quite skeptic because they thought, hey, you know, we understand that in retail, you had this offline to online transition in hotels, but who the hell is going to disrupt restaurants? Because it's warm foods, it's about service, it's about, you know, it's different than, than shipping a shoe to a customer, right? <laughs> um, but these last mile delivery companies has changed, I think, that complete game back then. Mm-hmm. So what happened was actually uh, one like that period, uh, uh, you know, I was going to take a, a long, uh, a year sabbatical, but I think three weeks into it, Basically, restaurants around the world were calling me and saying, "Tom, you know, uh, we heard that you uh, you had some free time. <laughs> we have a bigger <laughs> issue to 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 fix. You really need to help us to create a platform that is helping us as restaurants to keep control, and you know, help us to navigate this changing world of offline to online." And the, the massive reason was Rashawn actually foresaw like, hey, if you see already 20, 30% of our revenue going through these marketplaces, who knows what's going to come in one, two, three, four, five years from now. You know, you're going to sell on all these places and we are not tech savvy. You know, that's not our core business. How do we navigate that? How do we keep control and how do we make sure that you know, at the end of the day, we know what our customers are and how can we uh, handle all these sales? So that's how we started Deliverect. So this was like 2018, if I'm correct? Yeah, we started 2017, 2018. And uh, actually, I, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So I thought, hey, there must be a solution to do this, right? I think one of the things we, we realized quite quickly is that, you know, there were players doing aggregation, but nobody was actually using APIs to do it. People were doing, uh, you know, email scraping, package sniffing, mm. you know, getting the orders, you know, basically almost hacking <laughs> these third-party marketplaces to get the orders in a format in a system. And and mm-hmm. nothing against them, it's it was normal because it was back then where Uber Eats didn't have an API, Deliveroo haven't got an API, DoorDash, and so on. So I went actually around the world to every HQ of every marketplace and, and pitched them the idea of like, hey, you know, we come from the point of sale space, we know what we are doing. Uh, let's co-create an API. And you know, basically the rest is history. Uh, and that's why I think we have a very close collaboration with 
all these third-party marketplaces. Uh, some of them just use our uh, APIs <laughs> that we defined still to date. So uh, it's quite funny. It's very interesting how you kind of helped spearhead that shift. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like, I guess it reminds me kind of like of WhatsApp building a client for every single smartphone out there and really getting the long tail of everything, right? They they were able to get every kind of Nokia phone and every kind of Windows phone and every, you know, whatever smartphone was out there, they got it. Not, not apples to apples, but I was just thinking about that. So, you know, as you're going and, and, and talking to these delivery marketplaces about getting their APIs together so that you can start to onboard some of these early customers, who are these restaurants that you were kind of targeting in the early days? Uh, were they independents or were they more chain-based restaurants? And what was the competition like, I guess, like from Olo at the time? Like, why wasn't that enough? Well, first of all, I mean, back then it was early days, right? People were, uh, you know, a company like that were doing online ordering and, and, you know, nobody was really understanding the aggregation side. I started actually uh, because a, a chain, restaurant chain in Spain, still a customer, uh, called Goico Grill, uh, called me. I know the, the only well. Uh, it's it's now a 200 location chain. And he was the first customer using one of my uh, or iPad point of sale. So he started with one location and scaled. Uh, so he said, wow. hey, Zong, this thing is getting out of hand we have all these tablets here you know uh four or five you know it's a mess to run my operations can you make something and uh actually i said no <laughs> i said that uh, sounds very painful i don't want to do it but then there were customers actually in in multiple countries i think in totally was around 300 restaurants that said hey you know what so what if we subscribe with you already before you have a product and just you know, you make it in three to six months. And, um, you know, because we know you, we'll, we'll just pay you for the development. So that was a perfect MVP. You know, I always like to keep, get the minimal viable product and said, okay, yeah, if you have so many restaurants ready to pay you, uh, even before you make a product, there must be a big problem. So that's how, how we started getting the solution ready. Of course, because we had these restaurants and I, I come from a point of sale space, that allowed us to very quickly to get these access to these marketplaces, right? Uh, they understood, hey, there's someone that, you know, there's a big demand from the market, but also someone that really understand this space, right? Because point of sale is really fragmented. There's thousands of these systems. It's, it's quite insane mm. from, you know, uh, archaic uh, non-cloud system to on-premise system to cloud systems. It's it's very, very big and large fragmentation. Okay, so you're saying like Olo was basically out there, but they weren't as focused on order aggregation as they were about just kind of basic POS integrations into various third-party marketplaces. I think Olo was not back then even uh, focused on that. They, they were focused on online ordering, right? They exist for a long time and they were just doing, um, it was a custom shop for creating online ordering websites for, right. for these restaurants. And there was a lot of them. I think the, the idea, uh, what makes this unique is um, what we are creating is not really aggregation. We said, hey, the bigger issue is how does anyone online connect to anyone uh, offline? So any online player that want to enter restaurants, you need to create all these point of sale. So we said, hey, let's create the backbone of digital food. So what that's what we have done. We have created one API uh, layer that gives you access today over 300 point of sale companies around the world, uh, allowing you to access wow. any physical restaurant 
without you need to dealing with you know uh, signing them up, without you need to dealing with uh, getting a contract done, and so on. So that's really you know what makes Deliver quite unique. It's you know think about if you're a startup company uh, before you had Amazon AWS or Google Cloud, you need to build all these server infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Without Deliverect, you need to build and go build all these point of sales, and and that's just a massive mess. Wow, interesting. So, like you're saying, from your like App Store marketplace of all these different marketplaces and integrations, you can actually sign up for marketplaces like DoorDash or uh, Uber Eats without even going through the funnel of going on Uber Eats's website and signing up. It's all integrated into your backend. Exactly. I think one of the things that really makes it unique, right? A twofold. One, imagine you're an online player. I mean, a social channel or, you know, any super app. Anyone enter this restaurant space, the restaurant wants it. We can connect and just get you live and get these orders in, but as well, the menu directly on your platform. Similar for a restaurant that says, Hey, I want to now adopt a lot of these channels. They don't need to go a separate set it up. You know, in, in the Livrect with one click, you can go live on all these channels and. It's extremely interesting today because it's not even a restaurant with one brand going live, right? Today you have restaurant with a lot of virtual brands. How do they go down live on five, six, seven online channels at the same time? You know, the manual work of setting that up is insane. And so we take yeah. all that hassle away. Really interesting. And I think it, it's, it creates a very interesting dynamic as far as, you know, your relationship with these platforms, because I think on some end, they love you because you're signing up new customers. But at this, at the same time, they must hate you because at the same time, you're also spreading those orders across multiple competitors. So it's kind of this really interesting dynamic where, you know, net net, you're creating more business for them. But there's also this dynamic of you, you have to hedge across, you know, not necessarily hedge, but you have to be on all these different channels to really get the full value of, you know, the penetration of digital ordering. I would see it differently. It is true. It was always easy in starting. You know, people mark it was like, "Hey, it's on." You know, what's happening? But quickly, they realized that what we are doing is, you know, we're a very transparent company, and what we're doing is really helping them, right? So one of the metrics a lot of these DSPs had was they have a big, you know, refund and failure rate, right? If a marketplace are sometimes at between three to 8% failure. So every 100 orders, there's three to eight orders that they are refunding because the item was wrong, you know, the order was wrongly rekeyed, uh, it was something out of stock and et cetera. And they realize when they use us because it's two-way information flow. So even if in the restaurant, for example, uh, a burger is sold out, it's automatically 86th in these marketplace. They saw almost 80% in reduction of error rate. That's massive savings for them. Yeah. Second, what these marketplace saw is because all these automation happened per order, a restaurant is saving between two and five minutes in, you know, because you get the order on the tablets, you know, you need to rekey it on your point of sale and so on and so on. And there's a lot of waiting and delays. We actually reduce the total delivery time. So from the moment you as a customer order and you get food, we drop that by 40%. So, for these delivery marketplaces, mm-hmm. they were suddenly like, hey, Zone, if you use Deliverect, instead of doing two orders, we can do three orders an hour. So they can make a profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that changed, I think, their way of thinking. And finally, we all know the market is moving to a place where, you know, we don't know where we're going to order. Uh, and, you know, end customer, you and me, 
are agnostic, right? It depends on what promotion and what 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 at that moment triggers us to to order. So you know they also realize, hey, you know it's it's not only consolidation that's happening in this online world. It's actually a lot of divergence uh, because it's not only marketplaces these days. You know you can sell on Google. You have social channels. You know probably mm-hmm. you have super apps. You know uh, you you can order on Google Home, Alexa. So can you stop that movement? Not really. And at the end of the day. You know, it benefits the restaurant. So they are still, you know, the ones that want it. And these are our customers. Restaurants are our customers. So we make sure that we do what they want. That's as simple as it gets. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything is moving omni-channel and, you know, in-venue, off-premise, all of it is going digital and, and you need a single point of integration. Um, so, yeah, that, that it makes it really exciting to sit where you guys are in the ecosystem and see everything kind of from a bird's eye view. Yeah, maybe maybe on that one thing, I mean, one interesting stat is in the restaurant space, if you think about 2019 and now, so pre-pandemic, there was 17 million workers in the leisure industry in the US, right? Today, there's 16 million. So 1 million people are gone. But the unemployment rate in April was the same level as 2019. So it basically <laughs> means that just 1 million of workers are gone completely. So, I mean, and you see this. That's why, you know, a restaurant wages are now, you know, 20%, 30% year over year have grown. But so for these restaurants to operate, especially these days, it's, you know, they don't find the people. So digitalization is not a nice to have. It's need to have. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to hire somebody to answer the phone and, you know, take out sheets of paper from the fax machine. <laughs> Exactly. That, that costs too much and you won't find these people. That's even worse. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting. We got to let humans do the, the creative work and, and automate the rest and let, let the machines do their thing. I'm kind of curious to fast forward. You know, we talked a lot about the past of like your early customers. Like now you've grown a lot and, and you have a really interesting you know, set of customers ranging from international QSR franchises and then mom and pops. And then you have kind of these newer verticals, like, uh, I guess you could say quick commerce or, or CPG grocery, you know, who are the biggest segments and, you know, what, what are they looking to get from Deliveract? So uh, today it's almost 50-50, where 50% is small, medium business and, and 50% of our business is enterprise and, and CPG, right? And so people always ask us, why do you do small, medium business? Because, you know, uh, you know, uh, in, in SaaS, it's always uh, more interesting to do the larger customer. I think it goes very deeply in the why. You know, we, we don't want to just serve the enterprise customers. We really want to help the smaller independent as well, because these guys are the glue of society, right? I grew up in that space. I mean, they have helped a lot. And first, uh, often it's a first generation immigrant coming to a country. They don't know what to do. They set up these restaurants. So to help in these, you know, smaller restaurants to make that transformation is key. That's actually how we started. Uh, but quickly, I think it's because of past experience, we, we learned like when you build small uh, software for SMB, Quickly, you know, when these SME grow to enterprise, you actually lose them because they need a lot of reporting, multi-location functionalities, audit trails. So this time around, we say, hey, let's build this in because last time with our iPad point of sale at scale, it was a bit annoying because you, you, you had mm. them, but then you actually lost them because they became too big and, and that was not good. <laughs> so because we built all these functionalities in from the start, we got actually massive adoption from the enterprise world and even, uh, as you mentioned, the CPG world. 
And especially there, it's quite interesting because, you know, when people think about Unilever, they don't understand what do they do? Uh, what, what's the point of having Unilever? But you need to understand they own so many brands. And one of them, for example, is Ben & Jerry's. So you can order Ben & Jerry ice cream in every city in the world 24-7. So how? Wow. Well, it runs from dark fridges here in Chicago. But I mean, if you are in LA, you can order as well from a 7-Eleven, you know, a gas station, your local restaurant where they have a dark fridge and they have a delivery tablet where, you know, these orders come in and they can fulfill it. So they do this as mass and, and you see more and more of these convenience and these brand thinking, hey, how can I get direct relation with customers, right? So... Uh, and as we do massive deployments, uh, you know, they, they found us quite quickly. So that's quite interesting. And we don't even do ice cream these days. We also do cold beer delivery, you know, from automated fridges in, in Singapore, for example. So it goes quite far where, you know, as backbone of digital food is really connecting the ordering to the supply and the delivery. And, you know, all these things can be fully agnostic. I love that term, backbone of digital food. I mean... You're dealing with massive, massive TAMs, right? You got the restaurant space and then you have, you know, grocery and convenience. You know, we're talking trillions of dollars here globally. It's fascinating to see, you know, all these different use cases from like alcohol to ice cream to some sort of smaller assortment. But more interestingly is is where it's coming from, right? It, like a gas station or a reef trailer or all this kind of new dark infrastructure that I cover on Hungary a lot. You can kind of, you know, with, with the modern tools, deliver act plus a fridge uh, or a freezer and just someone sitting there, like literally just start taking orders. And as long as it's located within the, the right radius of a customer, you're in business. And, and that's really what exciting because people are like, hey, why is it exciting in this sector is you will have a lot of locations, right? Imagine your retail. What happens is outside of big city, you have one warehouse one fulfillment center. But if you're talking about food, it's always need to be close to the customer, right? It's actually a radius of a couple kilometers because it needs to be you know, delivered within 10, 15, 30 minutes. So the deployment needs of mass location management is something that you know really is needed. And, and that's something we do. And in the future, you know, it could be fully agnostic, right? You can have a situation where you know you have a smart fridge at home that says, hey, my fridge is empty, I need some ice cream. It sends uh, an order through APIs. We get uh, that order in your local 7-Eleven and we get a drone to deliver it in your house and put it in your fridge. <laughs> that's how far you can go. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need someone to connect the system and, and that's really delivering. Very cool. So yeah, I think some you know some people who are newer to, to Deliverac may not recognize that you're actually originally like from Belgium. That's where the company was founded, right? And I'm curious to, to hear about kind of what you've seen as far as the various like use cases in Europe versus the US and how that's really sh shifted your roadmap as far as coming here, I believe, last year. Can you talk a little bit about that briefly? Sure. I think we were quite big internationally. That's we, how we started. Uh, you know, Deliverect only exists for three and a half years, four years, but we operate on all continents. We have 14 offices and we're almost a 500 team company, you know, and, you know, so what we saw very quickly is that 
the problem you have is actually quite global. Uh, however, the fragmentation is quite big because in every region you have different marketplaces, different workflows, different dispatch providers as well, different port of sale. And you know, Deliveract is always that player that gives you that complete overview international reach. Um, so people always ask us, hey, why US? Uh, why did you come? Because you know you have so much to do everywhere else. The, the honest answer is, uh, it's because customers ask us to come, right? As we have, you know, you mentioned KFC, so we do Yum or RBI or you know Unilever. They they run us in, you know, tens of countries where we help them to run all their restaurants. For them, they saw, hey, you know, this thing goes way further than just order injection. You know, you manage. We help users to manage the menus, help them to do marketing around it. And so basically a lot of our customers said, hey, you need to come to the US because that's where we need a solution as well. And uh, hence, uh, you know, we have been uh, focusing heavily here. Uh, you know, I, I'm moving uh, from next month on permanently in New York, uh, living in Manhattan, Midtown. So, uh, you know, the, the focus of the company is very much US focused at the moment. I mean, who do you think is further ahead when it comes to delivery? From my perspective, I think the virtual brand space is a lot more interesting in Europe than it is here in the U.S. But any kind of observation about how European countries are, are operating delivery versus what you're seeing in the U.S.? I think it's it's the difference is, as, especially international in Europe, it's very much smaller countries. You have a lot of more vendors trying, right? Where often in the U.S. very quickly get some consolidation and, and some bigger players doing it. So there's a lot of more local brands, uh, local kitchens. But I, I would say, you know, at boats, uh, you know, it's moving very quickly because the pandemic hits everywhere, right? So if the pandemic only were to hit one continent, it would be very different than now. Uh, it was at the same time where everyone was looking at, hey, how do we innovate? How do we actually survive this transition? How do we make sure we, we get sales? So I think it's it's quite similar, but there are going to be a lot of crossover where internationally there's a lot of more SMBs, so smaller concepts, where in the US you have a lot of more chains trying to do it, right? So mm-hmm. it's more, you know, the, the creativity, I think, is bit bigger in international markets, but the skill, of course, comes from the US. Very interesting. And can you talk about LATAM at all? I know you guys have recently announced that you're expanding there, uh, looking at various countries. There's obviously been an insane amount of growth there and still very low penetration, but super high density and really low kind of labor rates as far as the the last mile fulfillment in relation to the average order values in certain countries. Uh, Can you talk anything about the exciting opportunity you're seeing there? Yeah, I think there's the DSPs that are focusing only on these, uh, you know, emerging countries. And people always like, why? Actually, yeah, very simple. If you go to Mexico City, people that are ordering are actually having a high wage, right? Uh, you know, these are, these are people that, you know, have a high income. But then people working in the restaurant as well, the delivery drivers, the, the, you know, they, they, their income is way lower. Uh, it, in these countries, you have a massive gap between, you know, the, the, the poor, uh, you know, sadly enough, and, and the rich, where in, in Europe or in the US, that gap is less, right? You're not going to have, a, you know, someone working two, three dollars an hour to deliver your food. Well, in these emerging countries, you have that. And the result is actually, you know, it's quite profitable for uh, a dark mm. kitchen, these virtual brands, but as well these DSPs, because, you know, you're selling to a population that have a higher income while you're utilizing very much the lower income side of it to, to do the fulfilling and the cooking. Very interesting. So I'd love to dive into, you know, the hot, the hot 
point of discussion here, which is virtual brands, which has been a huge boon to your business. You know, can we talk about kind of what you've seen with virtual franchising in Europe and in the US? And then maybe you can also talk about Casper, which is, you know, another startup that I guess you back that is uh, probably using DeliverX software and dog fooding some of your product uh, in Belgium to do some of this work as well. Yeah, for sure. I think I, I'm a strong believer of virtual uh, brands and marketplace. Um, you know, we just launched uh, yesterday our virtual direct uh, marketplace for brands to connect one-sized established brands. Like if you want a Unilever brand in your restaurant or even the guys from Franklin Junction with Nathan's Hot Dog and so on to your restaurant, right? Because why is that? It's, it's quite uh, simple, right? If you're a restaurant, when you started to open a restaurant, you thought about, hey, I want to have in the high street because I want foot traffic. But then if when you go online, people start forget about that. It's, it's the same principle. You know, how more windows or how more tiles or digital restaurant or footprint you have, how more people can order. And that's really where these virtual brands come into space, right? So imagine you're a sushi restaurant. Well, often before... You know, a sushi restaurant that's just putting their sushi restaurant on a marketplace and say, hey, I'm here. But actually, they could split up in three virtual brands because often they sell mm -hmm. sushi, pokeball, ramen, and something else, mm -hmm. right? But then if you would do that, suddenly your digital real estate goes 3x, right? And mm -hmm. if you then all four platforms, suddenly you have actually 12 digital storefronts. And before people think, hey, that will not bring a lot of sales, well, each storefront digitally brings incremental sales. And so it means like, even if you have a very unsuccessful brand, if you launch digitally, it would bring per month 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 revenue. But if you're doing a, a good brand that is actually quite successful, you can easily reach $10,000 by brand you add incrementally on your stores. And mm -hmm. I think that's really gonna help restaurant to reach that digital profitability because they can use their existing, you know, my, I mean, I, I mean, in Manhattan, you have all these diners. These diners can open easily 10 brands. They have like a, a big a menu list. So splitting that up is a different way of doing it, right? Finally, I think I, I learned this because you mentioned Casper. Uh, you know, I, I started this uh, same with a friend of mine. He, he actually has a restaurant chain. I was like, Dong, there's something, you know, this wave is coming. You know, a bit about tech. Uh, you know, I know about this. Why don't we try it? And it was really something like, hey, I was like, hey, eat our own dog food, uh, you know, uh, let's try with one location. And, and that thing uh, literally got out of hand. Today, we have 11 locations over Europe, and we're going to grow to 50 locations, kitchens. And each kitchen has more than 10 brands, and we own five channels, right? So each kitchen has 50 <laughs> storefronts. And, you know, why was that important? Is like, in the beginning, we actually thought, hey, let's try to do like, um, um, you know, a food hall concept. We just have one brand and, you know, in our kitchen, we have all everything and it's going to be handy for the customer to to order one, you know, burger, chicken wings, dessert from one place. And we mm -hmm. saw that the revenue was really not that great. So what we did is very early on, two, three years ago, is say, hey, we will keep that food hall concept, but let's split every brand separately. And that has tripled our revenue like that. So there's no difference in, in cooking, <laughs> right? There's no, it's the same food, the same concept, but just splitting up the storefront and getting more digital real estate has allowed us to uh, very much grow that top line. And now we're just adding more brands uh, to increase the sales of it. 
Very cool. And this is all owned and operated ghost kitchens that you're leasing and hiring the staff or is there, are there some plans to franchise that as well? No, I like to do the hard stuff. So that kitchen is um, fully owned. So we, we do lease brands, uh, but uh, you know it's it's a model where build our own kitchens or sometimes we lease it, but very in control. And you have operators having high quality to cook the food and, and ship it out. So, but what's unique mm-hmm. is we only have two, three people per kitchen. So that's what makes it unique because it's a high, you know, restaurant, but especially kitchen, there's low margin business. So and why is that possible? And I mean, that's perfect synergy with Deliver Right. We create it, you know, from the moment you get in the store, the, the you know, um, where the orders comes in. We have kitchen displays that automate, you know, hold the flow where you need to cook to even a pickup manager so that, you know, uh, when a rider comes, they, they know exactly what to pick up and you don't need a front of staff to give it. So the full automation is very much key because to make that work, I mean, you need to keep your food costs under 30% bloody hard. You need to keep your labor costs under 25%, bloody hard, you know, and then because you, you have this 20, 30% aggregator fees uh, and, and you have your rent and so on. So to just getting 15 to 20% profit margin means that you don't have a lot of room to, 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 to make mistakes. So operationalizing all the automation is key. And I think that's also one of the reasons why DeliverX is very successful in the dark kitchen, ghost kitchen, and virtual brand stuff, because, you know, we, we, we tested out to the extreme. And now, you know, we have the know how to put it in all other, you know, virtual brand kitchens. Very interesting. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot of great, you know, lessons learned from seeing a lot of your customers do this and now doing it yourself firsthand. Like, what is the breaking point at which like the, the straw breaks the camel's back as far as the number of brands you can fulfill out of kitchen? We, you were just talking about a diner in Brooklyn that's been covered by like Eater and a couple other outlets that's got like 18 of them. Sure, there's this concept of like, you know, I can literally take the omelet list and make that an egg concept and I can take the sandwich thing and make it another one and the salad is another one and I just break up the this like six page menu into like 18 different <laughs> storefronts. But at what point, like how much is sustainable? Like what's the average kind of you're seeing around Europe? And like, you know, how much operational complexity does each incremental brand add? So that's where Deliverect is very unique on company place, right? So when you do Deliverect, you, you use the, all your products as basic building block, right? Because it's hard. Mm-hmm. So we take that, your whole menu, maybe it's 50 or 100, as building blocks from your point of sale in Deliverect. And then you can create all sorts of combinations of menus. You can create new combos using the same omelet, but then, you know, with different toppings. You can have it in, you know, uh, different uh, combo deals and so on. So you need to see it as one side is almost marketing automation or market your brand. Mm. Others uh, end is at the end of the day, you're cooking one omelet. So the operator in the restaurant or the kitchen, they always see it's the same stuff. However, online, mm-hmm. the variation can be endless. And, you know, mm. at the end of the day, they're putting one dish that they have made in the bag, right? That's why, I, you know, we have seen kitchens where, you know, if you look at uh, more interesting is Mena in Dubai. Dubai, you have buildings, right? Where you have, uh, you know, dark kitchens with, you know, it's going to scare you, 100 brands, 100 brands, 
or five, six channels. And they operate in a building where, you know, it's fully automated. So the limits of capacity is really just the, the kitchen throughput. But in interior, you can add a lot of more brands because, you know, uh, it's not that hard if you have a diner and, you know, if you can cook 100 omelet, that's your capacity limit, right? The rest doesn't really matter. I really like what you're, you're saying about, like, you know, building these aliases for individual SKUs in your POS. So it's like, this item can be represented in an infinite number of different permutations and combos, and and it can appear in a, in a number of different ways. It's not so much about reinventing the wheel, it's just how you present it to the customer on the marketplace. Yeah, so if you think about a brand, what does a brand need to hear, hear a product? So if it's burger, you need a couple of burgers. If it's hot dog, couple hot dogs. And then you need a condiment, toppings, right? So, okay, you need fries, uh, but then, in a menu and brands, you probably need drinks and a dessert. So actually, you just need that one hero uh, item. All the rest is actually reusable, right? And you can mm-hmm. mix match that completely. And what's really mm-hmm. exciting is online, you can play with a lot of more, you know, upsells and opt-ins. A funny anecdote, at Casper, we tried this because we were selling ketchup, right, sauce. And we thought, hey, you know, what if we make the sauce when you order a, a combo of your burger and fries um, opt out instead of opt in. And we saw mm-hmm. that, you know, we're selling ketchup at 50 cents, $50 cents. And um, mm-hmm. last one that we made $6,000 in selling these ketchup, right? Because 80 or 90% of the people never opt out on this. They take the fries, <laughs> there's a ketchup, 50 cents, That's and they just so order it. But imagine oh it's insane. God. And then they ship it to your house. And in your house, you have a couple liters of ketchup and mayonnaise and, and, you know, all these sauces <laughs> in your fridge, but you pay it each time 50 cents, right? So so it's a very different way of thinking when you go digital than in-store because in the restaurant, you know, you're going to be more price sensitive than, you know, clicking through next, next, next. It's crazy. That's fascinating. Um, I mean, that makes me think about this, this idea of A-B testing, you know, of like, playing around with different titles of your brand and, you know, obviously all the stuff we're just talking about as far as like, you know, the, the sauce <laughs> assumption clothes, I would say is like, you know, having I, I, that I box urge everyone to, ta- everyone should try it. <laughs> it's uh, you know, you're going to increce your, to- it's all pure profits, man. <laughs> it, this profit. reminds me of like, I was in Brooklyn and there's this like, um, like some sort of Peruvian restaurant or something that just stuck a bottle of wine on the table, every single table. And if you tell them you don't want it, they'd get rid of it, but they automatically are going to charge you for it if you don't. Or if you sit down at a restaurant, the classic thing is like, you know, still are sparkling. I'm like, I always say tap, right? Like, because they just want to sell you on a bottle of water, right? It's just, we call it the assumption close. But anyway, my question is like, is there anything like on the analytics side, how do you do these like multivariate tests and A-B tests to see, you know, the impact of an experiment? And is there anything that you guys have automated there to make it really easy for restaurants to understand, A, what they should be charging and B, how they should be displaying these me- these menus and, and those sorts of things? Yeah, so I think that makes the Levrex as well very unique. We have analytics specific for virtual brands, right? So often like if you are on point of sale and you have reporting, yeah, you can see your daily uh, revenue. Probably you cannot compare brands over day over day, month over month, and you know skew it right because 
sometimes you have, especially if you have brands that uh, on its own and the product is used as in your foothold, it's hard to know where does it come from. So we allow you to really select in detail what type of brands you want to compare. And then you can look at day by day, hour by hour, week by week as comparison. But even more important is we help restaurants to um, allow them to understand what the real revenue is. Right? People sometimes say, hey, I made... $50,000 on these marketplaces, but actually it was not 50000 right? They paid the commission on it. They did mm-hmm. uh, buy one, get one free. They did promotions where, you know, it's 20% discount. And maybe at the end of the day, actually the revenue <laughs> was only 25000 or 30000 So getting that breakdown allows them to really know their business and, and making sure they have the right assumption. And the reason why is... Most restaurant operators think still in the old world of cash, right? I get, I sold this, that's the amount of cash I get. Online is yeah. very different. There's a lot of things going away. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, things we make it very visible so that a restaurant can make the right, you know, judgment call and say, hey, I need to raise prices a bit more. You know, they think, hey, I'm sold 50,000. Oh, no, it's only 30. So hey, if I want to make that profit, I need to add 10, 20% more. Uh, but mm-hmm. finally, I think it's really understanding also your capacity, right? So restaurant owners using Little Vrek, they can see when it's ordered at what hour, and they almost have multi-menus. Uh, for example, a lot of restaurants have, like Casper has per brand, four menus a day. They have a, you know, a lunch menu, afternoon, dinner, and then after 10 p.m., late night menu. And each of these menus, Although maybe they have sometimes similar products, they have different prices, you know, different segments. They have limited uh, items. Always optimize if, hey, it's super busy, then I'm going to sell less but more expensive. If it's less busy, I'm going to get people more offering. Or after 10 p.m., I only have less stuff, so I'm only going to do the things that are easy, that are super profitable. So it's continuously playing with it and adapting this uh, side of it. It's It allows you as a restaurateur uh, to you know keep your margin high. That's super fascinating. And I love this idea of this like kind of dynamic menu. I mean, we're seeing the world of uh, drive-through just starting to catch up with that, right? Where, you know, they're doing these digital billboards and based on the weather, they're changing, you know, their offerings for like, you know, cold beverages and that sort of thing. And really starting to target the menu based on all these external factors. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about dynamic pricing. It was something that I saw when we were at the conference the other week at Food on Demand was, you know, sauce pricing. And there's a couple other people I know who are working on stuff in that space. But do you think that this is going to be um, something that you're going to see more of on Deliverac where some sort of developers are going to be able to figure out how to put some of this pricing on autopilot for, for operators to basically maximize profits throughout the day? Well, sure. I think what's the difference is the end customers online are not, they don't know the pricing. They don't really care about the pricing. That's the unique thing. Most restaurants will tell you, hey, our, on the marketplace, our prices for our dishes are 20, 30% more expensive because we want offset. But, you know, people don't know what these prices are, so you can constantly uh, change it, adapt it. So I think that side of things is, is very important. 
but as well, you know, control yields, right? When it's super busy, you as a restaurant want to sometimes, you know, hold off on certain channels and maybe push more to your, you know, dine-in customers because, hey, you know, they, they, they drink more, they are there, there's no commissions, as well, maybe your first party. So mm-hmm. that's where I think, you know, it's going to be very interesting where instead of just pushing on pricing is, you know, uh, for a restaurant, what channel is going to be more profitable at what time? Mm-hmm. They want to have always the full capacity, but, you know, sometimes it allows them to, to throttle certain channels. And I think that's going to be key uh, for a lot of restaurants. Very interesting. And, and and you're looking at like how your customers are selling as far as like take out pickup channel and kiosk versus first party pickup and delivery versus marketplace. Like how are you seeing that kind of evolve? You know, obviously everyone's been told during the pandemic, you need to have first party ordering. You need to have first party ordering. It's been drilled into their brain. How much of that is actually starting to play out as, you know, as far as a percentage of sales online? Uh, versus other big channels like takeout and and obviously third-party marketplaces. This market is still very much heavily on third-party marketplaces, right? It's like, you know, all numbers, it's like 70-30, right? 70 is through third-party marketplaces from restaurant to home, and 30-35% is, you know, direct, right? Mm-hmm. There's two things for it. One is just pick up is hard. People, you know, order and, and take out. You know, pick up curbside pickup, the volume is very low. People are sadly still lazy and they want delivery. So if you have this, that, that already helps. But it's more about marketing. You know, most restaurants, unless they have a partner that can digitalize, uh, digitally help and buy ads, Google ads, Facebook or whatever for these restaurants, mm. it's very hard for them to contact and keep, you know, selling their first party to their restaurant. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, these marketplaces are constantly playing with promotions. I mean, you have your phone in your pocket, right? Probably in, uh, in because uh, in, in 10 minutes is noon here and uh, I'm going to get promotion from one of those channels. And then you can get intrigued of like, hey, just buy one, get one free. And you're going to order there. So the marketing aspect is is a super key. Mm. And even marketing on these marketplaces, is it's going to be key because you want to be ranked higher. And that's where uh, these sales uh, still comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that was definitely something you were on the panel talking about as far as, you know, promoting yourself on third party marketplaces and charging more and um, leveraging. I mean, like if you look at small businesses, they they don't have the CAC to play on Google Analytics and, or to, to play on like Google AdSense and or Google AdWords. And, and they don't have the, the CAC to play on Facebook and they're going to get outbid by the bigger guys uh, who are not in food, right? Who have margin to, to spend. So marketplaces are, are very important. But I thought to also, Yeah. What's that? The, I said the, marketplaces are definitely not going away. I think it's important for Russian to multi-channel, right? Beyond everywhere. Absolutely. Right. So yeah, I'd love to hear kind of, you know, some of the other products that you've built, like online ordering uh, and dispatch and how that kind of works with the, the whole suite because you're not just aggregating orders, you're doing all this other, building all these other tools that some of the partners that are on your site also have. Yeah, I think we don't compete with our partners. Um, we we have, you know, you need to see it as Apple, right? Mainly as we're building a platform, but then for certain limited or simple uh, functionalities, we have something out of the box, right? You know, on Apple, you have, you know, the, the health app from uh, Apple, but you're going to use any other app as you want to go further. I think it's exactly the same way because we are very partner focused. It, it is true that sometimes Rational wants something very simple, 
right? They say, hey, I want to have a page where the product is there that I can show the menu for, and you know, I can process some uh, orders for. So we provide that, but majority of our customers still use a third party first party partner of us because you know especially in restaurants it's all about customization and, and that flow mm. so we we, we want to help these restaurants to have that full cycle so yes ordering but more important we we focus more on operational sites especially in these dark kitchens where you know we have a kitchen system specific for virtual brands because that's really complicated. If you have multi-brand, you want to show the picture of the burger, how it's made. But as well, even at the dispatch sites, because we believe that, you know, at the end of the day, in the future, you can order anywhere and someone's going to deliver it. And today that's already possible, right? You could order even, you could order on Grubhub and get um, Uber Direct to de- deliver it, right? So where you're ordering and where you're delivering is going to be agnostic. And we are just facilitating that world. Fascinating. So it's like basically arbitraging the 30% commissions by essentially getting the takeout rate, right? The pickup rate, which is, you know, 15% or so, or maybe a little bit less. And then you're basically using a courier last mile service like Uber Direct or DoorDash Drive, or maybe even Lyft. I know that they were working with Olo, but you're essentially building a real-time marketplace of couriers and then either subsidizing that uh, internally to make it maybe lower than 30% or passing that down to the customer so that they pay that delivery fee. It's, it's, it's more interesting than that, I think, because we have the overview of all channels. It's more about efficiency. So often it's two orders, three orders in the same neighborhoods going to get delivered by one rider. That's where the difference is. And why is, mm. you know, to give you an idea, our offices, you know, we these guys heavily deliver. During noon, I always get frustrated. I see, you know, 15 riders coming from the same restaurant delivering the same burger, but then, you know, 15 rides. So, and all in the same time frame, because especially if you're off Office. It's it's how it works. So you know, if you use us, you know, all these orders come from Uber Eat, DoorDash, GrabHub, come in one platform, and we know it's the same area address. So you can say, hey, you know, let's make sure uh, these burgers are cooked at the same time. We get one rider to deliver four or five orders, and that's your efficiency gain. And then it's we're not talking wow. about thirty percent. You don't really care, right? It's maybe a couple of dollars, but you know it's for five orders, so it's like one dollar per order that is delivery fee. So that's the game changing moment, I think, for a restaurant. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that makes total sense. And it's that's kind of the cloud kitchen model, right? It's can we start to own more and more and more of the supply? to do more and more batching, right? So that maybe we even just hire our own drivers and just get it super, super efficient. But you're essentially doing this out of existing restaurants by batching demand from all the different platforms and essentially just routing it out through one courier, uh, assuming that the there's enough density there and that there's enough sensitivity on the actual product so that the people aren't getting like cold food or that the, the food is designed for that specific batching. Yeah, because it's, it has a ma- massive impact, right? Even just two orders with one driver, that saves enormous amount of money. It's all profits, right? And, and you know, I mean, restaurants is always doing peak hours, lunch, dinner. So the chance that it's from one neighborhood because it's always, you know, it, four wind directions, right? So the chances are quite high that there's uh, one or two or three orders that you can group it. So even if it's only 30% when it happens, well, these 30% orders are super profitable. Right? Because the delivery fee is almost nothing. 
very fascinating. I'm, I guess I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what you what you foresee as far as consolidation in the space. You know, we, you mentioned it a little bit about you know the U.S. having more conglomerates, more QSRs versus you know Europe, where things are a little bit more fragmented. But like, what what are you seeing over the next twelve months? We've already had you know Bbot and DoorDash, Square and GoParrot on the kind of ordering side, and then you have loyalty kind of integrations with like Punch and Par and that kind of merger. What else can we expect over the next year as the market, you know, becomes a little bit tougher on on some of these companies? I do think there's in tech going to be a more consolidation, right? As you know, it's it's harder going to be uh, the, the time of free money is ended. So you need to really build a profitable business, what's quite normal. So, you know, a lot of people that are just, you know, got a free money to, to, to ride this wave, it's going to have a hard time and you're going to see some tech consolidation. But honestly, for, for this kind of market, there's always new players. I, I see, a, you know, each time there's a consolidation and point of sale or consolidation on, on online there's two more popping up because there's always new workflows and new you know niches as you know this industry is very you know specific so yes there's going to be tech consolidation but on the other end i think there's more and more fragmentation as well got it and kind of, as we come out on the end of our time here i'm curious if you know for the restaurateurs at home or the virtual brand operators listening to this like what are, you know, you already came up with the, the sauce uh, insight, which is very helpful. But, you know, what are some of the basic things that they that aren't obvious to the average person that are just kind of table stakes that they should be thinking about when they're running their delivery? Maybe it's like the idea of having four menus that rotate throughout the day. Maybe it's something around doing something more experimental. But if, if they could do one thing, what would be the biggest bang for their, you know, the, the most impact for the effort. So there's one thing that every restaurant should do, and we do that is schedule your landing pages depending on the event. So what do I mean? If you go on Uber Eats, DoorDash, and so on, so when you scroll, you always have this picture of your restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. And so how does end consumer order on it? And why do they order on certain restaurant? It's often because there's a promo there. It lures them, right? There's buy one, get mm-hmm. one free, 10 process discount. And that's why, you know, if you do these marketing campaigns, you have higher volume. However, it's just a visual incentive. So forget actually doing a promo. How about you put there, hey, there's a, you know, NBA playoffs. There's a game match there. So why don't you put, hey, there's a, you know, we're doing a special for this event, right? You know, it was a uh, soccer champions league. Hey, we're doing a special event this weekend because, you know, uh, Chelsea is playing against Manchester City. So you, you just tailor it very to the event specific um, date. And that actually gets a lot of more eyeballs because it's simple. It's almost as you right? It's simple, uh, very early days, how before you need to create a website, you just need to have some visual cues that will generate a lot of sales. And uh, we do that. So, you know, yes, four menus a day, but even more is changing these pictures. It's super easy. It's an easy hack, but just constantly, you know, tailor to the event that is coming allows you to get more eyeballs because people are like, oh, that's a special thing, right? They don't want to go to a bland burger. They want to say, hey, there's something special with this brand. <laughs> so, and that's how you increase a lot of your volume without you costing you anything. Fascinating. So you're talking about the, the hero image w- that comes up when you're scrolling through the listings, right? Exactly. Yes. Oh, wow. So how, how, often does a, how often does a restaurant change that? Really? Never. But if you, if you change this 
there's no point you can say, hey, in the coming months, there's five, six uh, events, NFL, whatever events, you know, uh, sport match, or, you know, there's a city something, you know, marathon happening. And each time put some text or, you know, uh, some uh, images on it. You're going to lure people on it because it's like, hey, this is special. There's something special going on with this brand. Right. And that's going to get you a lot more sales. Simple. Very cool. Very cool. Zong, I always love uh, our conversations. Um, really big fan and, and admire what you've built in such a short period of time. Uh, if restaurants are interested in, in signing up or virtual brand operators want to get on your marketplace or people who are really smart engineers want to work on uh, these, these challenging problems, how can they uh, you know, get involved with Deliverect on all those fronts? Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, visit Deliverect.com. I think, uh, you know, you can uh, get a free trial. You can start automatically, even, uh, you know, you can self-serve and, and try our software. Uh, if you're a restaurant, you know, uh, if you have good ideas, you know, I'm a, you know, that's a big user of LinkedIn, so ping me up there. <laughs> I'm quite responsive uh, or try to be. So, uh, you know, always uh, interested in a, in a fun chat. All right. Thanks so much, Song. It's, it was awesome chatting with you. Enjoy the rest of your conference. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you're curious to get a firsthand look at the cutting edge of food and tech, check out Hungry.tv. That's Hungry with No You, where you can join in on live conversations like these or sign up for the free weekly newsletter.